We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Today is Monday, January the 10th, 2022, and it's a great day to have a day here on the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. And on today's show, I break down Saturday's game as the Gamecocks earn their first SEC victory of the season, going on the road to take down the Vanderbilt Commodores by a final score of 72 to 70. Guys, I'll give my full thoughts on the game. I'll talk my biggest takeaways from Saturday's win. Also, of course, we hand out the Shooter Shoot Award, and I'll look ahead to what's next for South Carolina men's basketball. Also, guys, news and notes to get into, including Shane Beamer hard at work as a pair of welcome homes come in over the weekend, I'll break down both of those, one we know and one that is rumored. Also, of course, Don Staley's squad taking down the Kentucky Wildcats in a 20-point win. It feels good to be good, and Don Staley and crew keep on rolling. I'll highlight the victories from that game as well. Also, of course, we've got your listener questions and a fantastic throwback interview, a great conversation with former Gamecocks wide receiver Troy Williamson. Guys, a conversation I know that you are sure to enjoy. We have got a packed show here on this Monday, and of course, as always, it's brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, Upstate Movers Group, for all of your moving needs in the 2022 calendar year, be sure to check out our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media at Upstate Movers Group. Of course, if you have any other questions, go to their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That's upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Let's get it. The birds are chirping. Class is back in session. And it's a great Monday to have a Monday. Folks, hope you're all doing well. I'm Chris Phillips, host the Spurs Up show, as always. And some days, it applies more than others. But certainly, here on a Victory Monday, feels good to be good. Feels good to be good after a successful weekend on the court, off the court, 
in recruiting. And we're going to get into all that and much, much more here on a Pack Monday show. Again, folks, I hope this show does find you well. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. And sincerely to all the students who are starting back up classes today or tomorrow or sometime this week, best of luck to you all and cheers to a fantastic semester to each and every single one of you. To those who may be tuned in who have uh, you know, your, your sons or daughters or whatever students who you sent back to campus. Congratulations. You made it through fall break. You went, you made it through the Christmas break, the winter break, if you will. And now you get to resume with your lives and do your normal thing. Either way, guys, again, appreciate you all tuning in. Great day to have a day. Sincerely again, hope your weekend was fantastic. And we have got a lot to get into, especially when it comes to the hardwood, both men's and women's. Again, like I said, victories in recruiting. Very excited to chat with you all, guys. Before we do get rolling, uh, just a quick update content-wise. Podcast, Daily Crow, as normal this week, as you would expect. We are at Tin Roof on Wednesday, 5 to 7. This week will be much more of a normal Tin Roof show. No guests or anything. We're just going to be kicking it, having a good time at Tin Roof on Wednesday, 5 to 7. Uh, but like I said, other than that, content per normal Something very exciting, by the way, just a random side note. This week is the last week officially that we will not have Gamecocks baseball to talk about until the end of the season. Next week at this time, we'll be starting to begin our uh, baseball content, if you will, season preview content for the Yardcocks. Of course, next Tuesday is officially one month from opening day. So again, guys, I cannot tell you how excited I am at that, of course, to get things, you know, to get, get, get to talking Gamecocks baseball again, get to talking Yardcocks. It's going to be a really good time as we count down the days to opening day and we start to break this thing down each position, uh, position by position, if you will. We start to break down in regards to our previews and just look ahead to the season that lies ahead for Gamecocks baseball, February the 18th, officially opening day. But right now, of course, guys, we're talking South Carolina basketball, and let's start with the men's side. As the Gamecocks go on the road on Saturday, get this, not just to pick up their first SEC win of the season, but to pick up their first true road win of the season in a gutsy, gutsy win, 72-70, to 70, the final score. And I tell you guys, you know, I was very surprised, by the way, going to Saturday morning, uh, was very surprised to see the line in this one. The Gamecocks opened as a six and a half, seven, eight point favorite, depending on where and when you got the line. And, you know, I predicted a South kind of victory, a three point victory, thought it would be a really, really close game, really, really back and forth game. And I'll tell you guys this, no matter the opponent, when you're in conference play, when you can go on the road and find a way to win. The last part of that sentence, the find a way to win part, that's really all that matters. That, that's really all that stands out. And, and we all knew coming into this game how pivotal it was, how important it was for South Carolina to win this basketball game. When you look ahead to the SEC schedule and you know, coming into the season, when you looked at the SEC and the SEC East hierarchy and just the hierarchy of this entire conference, and games you felt like were games you chalked up as a W, games you probably listed as a toss-up, and games that, you know, you look at and said, hey, it's going to be really tough. We're probably going to need to list that one as a loss. The Vanderbilt game, personally, even though it was on the road, is one that I looked at and said, hey, this is a game you should win. Under Jerry Stackhouse, Vandy has struggled mightily, has not been very good. And so it's one that I looked at before the season and said, hey, you need to win that one, right? Because you're probably going to lose your opener to Auburn. You need to win that one. And certainly with the chatter around Frank Martin and Gamecocks basketball and the dramatics there and some of the turmoil, if you will, 
you could tell the pressure was on on Saturday. Now, what's crazy when you look at this game, statistically, it feels like the Gamecocks dominated. I don't know about you guys, how you felt watching this game, if you watched this game, but it was shocking to me late that, that it was such a close game because, again, you look at statistics, South kind of shot 55% from the floor, by the way, only shooting those 17% from three. You look at Vandy, just 39% from the floor, however, shot 36% from three-point range. I think certainly that's what kept them in this ball game. Also, of course, free throws playing a very, very big part. Both teams shooting an even 72%. But get this, the Gamecocks shot 18 total free throws. Vanderbilt shot 36. And I will say this, guys, you know what's so funny? I get it. The refs weren't good, right? The refs are never good. It's like death, taxes, and I'm not pinning this on Gamecock fans, but death, taxes, and just college basketball fans complaining about the referees and I will say in a lot of instances it gets very hard to watch I mean some of the calls you can tell these refs are like waiting for certain scenarios you know they love calling the charges if you will the offensive fouls and and throwing the hand the other way and and making themselves more a part of the game than they should be but again guys we talk about why is it so hard to go on the road and win well that's why that's why because you're fighting so many different elements. You're fighting so many external factors. And I pointed out this stat, guys. You know, it's something I didn't even talk about on the podcast on Friday. You know, we talked about Memorial Gymnasium and how tough it was or how tough it's been, excuse me, for South Carolina historically to go to Nashville and beat the Commodores. Coming into Saturday's game, guys, get this. The Gamecocks had lost seven of their last eight matchups at Memorial Gymnasium. I mean, you talk about it being rough sledding. That's tough. That's really, really tough. I don't even think I realized it was that lopsided. So make no mistake, again, that win on Saturday was huge. That win on Saturday was huge. And and I feel like at least gauging the fan base, this was one that, are you going to write home about it? Is it one that is a signature win for the season? Maybe not, but it's just one you had to have to keep your head above water. It's one you absolutely had to have. And I'm not surprised to see how this team played. Again, we talk how you win, getting wins, all that good stuff. That was a gutsy win on Saturday. That, that was a gutsy, gritty, had to fight it out. You, you have to have good culture and good character in your basketball program. And I've talked about that a lot this season you know these players believe they fight for Frank Martin again you can feel how you want about Frank Martin but you can tell this team is bought in there are no issues on that side of things I don't think we've always been able to say that I think there were moments I think there were times where you look and you say man I just don't know that these guys collectively are bought into what's being taught to what's going on I don't see that being an issue, right? I don't see that being an issue. Now, give credit where credit's due to Vanderbilt, by the way. That was a quality win because Vandy right now, they dropped a 9-5, and 1-1 one one in conference play. They beat Arkansas, their one SEC win, as we talked last week. I, I don't think this was, you know, your typical Vandy team under Jerry Stackhouse where it's like, oh, my God, they're just basement dwellers. They're terrible. That was a quality win for sure. Now, 
just how good was Vanderbilt, just how good of a win was that for South Carolina. We're going to find out very quickly. As again, you go throughout your SEC schedule and you play some teams that are undoubtedly better than the Vanderbilt Commodore. So you're going to find out very quickly. You're going to be able to measure yourself up against other SEC competition and again, really find out where you stack up. But bottom line is this. There's no such thing as a bad road win in conference play. And we talked a lot last week as well, guys. Your first true road victory. Was South going to continue going to continue to mess around on the road, not play good basketball, and, and play far below what they're capable? Or were they going to step up in a place that had been a house of horrors for them, as I just talked a little bit earlier historically, and just simply put, find a way to win? I think certainly the thing that stands out, guys, and I saw many people on social media talking about this on Saturday was the way the Gamecocks were getting the basketball down low. I thought ball movement, by the way, was really, really good. But getting the basketball down low to your bigs, not having to settle for three-point shots. We all understand, guys, that this is a team that you could say it wouldn't apply in Saturday's game, but you could say lives and dies by the three. More often than not, well, you went three of 17 from three-point range, and you still found a way to win the game. That right there is getting the job done down low. You know, I've talked a lot about Jermaine Kuznard and the impact that he has, has. and I've said this phrase before. This team goes as Jermaine Kuznard goes. And while I still believe he's a very, very, very important piece, I feel like I'm starting to shift my thoughts a little bit because it feels like every time that Wildens Levesque has a good game for South Carolina, good things happen. And certainly he did that on Saturday. You look at Levesque's stat line, four of six from the field, two of two at the free throw line, which he's been phenomenal at the free throw line, by the way, but absolutely incredible at the free throw line. Ten total points for him, three total rebounds, had an assist as well. Again, I feel like every time Wildens Levesque plays good basketball, the Gamecocks come away with the victory. And I think what you saw on Saturday, too, you know, people, again, we're talking about the Gamecocks able to push the ball down low and, and not have to settle for threes. I think it was a really bad matchup against Auburn. You know, they had that seven-foot-one kid down low and just made it really, really tough, made it really tough to get anything going uh, on the inside. So, again, I thought you saw a matchup in which Sal kind of matched up much, much better, much more evenly, if you will, and the Gamecocks were able to take advantage. Now, when it comes, guys, to my biggest takeaway, because, again, the biggest takeaway overall from this victory is, again, just how massive this victory was. And, again, you keep your head above water you get yourself to 500 sec play and like i told you guys before you know you need to win your home games for sure you've got to protect your home floor but when you can go on the road and steal a game and steal a victory it's almost like you're picking up a game and a half if you will so take nothing away from the gamecocks and be sure to give credit where credit's due that was a huge game now When it comes to within the game, when I look at South Carolina, and this is a dude that has battled injury and, you know, has he been the best version of himself? I know the guys, the uh, the play-by-play guys on Saturday talked a lot about him, but my biggest takeaway from Saturday is this. The best version of this team 
is with Jermaine Kuston on the floor. There's no question. Listen, I like Jacoby Wright a lot, and I know I've made this point already before in the season, but I like Jacoby Wright a lot. I think Jacoby Wright is going to be a star. I think Devin Carter is going to be a star. I think there's a lot of young guys on this team who have a lot of potential, but you need that veteran leader at the point. You, you need that veteran leader in Jermaine Kuston. He had, and, and it's not even the fact he's going off for 20 points per game or going crazy or anything like that. But it's the timing of his baskets. It's the minutes he's playing and the value of those minutes and when he's making these shots. Again, he only had nine points, three for eight from the field, one for four from three, two for four at the free throw line and four rebounds total. But again, he made some clutch shots for you down the stretch. Absolutely made some clutch shots. You cannot overstate his value, what he means this basketball team. So again, guys, when I look at this game, what really stands out uh, is that Jermaine Kustard, when he's on the floor, that's by far the best version of this basketball team. By the way, getting back to the game, um, I praised Scotty Pippen Jr. a lot coming in that game, and he certainly, he, he deserves it. He still deserves it. He absolutely deserves it. What on God's green earth was Scottie Pippen Jr. and Vanderbilt as a whole thinking on that last possession? And I will not lie to you guys. I don't know if it was the, the, the mind of the Gamecock taking over when that was taking place because normally I'm a very optimistic, uh, happy-go-lucky type of human being, whether it be in Gamecocks, athletics, or just in life. But I found myself sitting there watching that game just thinking to myself, God, I, I could see this going horribly wrong. And I guess what was what's so crazy, again, about college basketball, we sit here on a victory Monday, right? We feel good about ourselves. We got the dub. We're one and one. All it would have taken is one shot, just one shot in the final seconds to go against us. And the entire mood of today is different. Like, the difference between victory and defeat is, is literally just buy a thread. But either way, it feels good to be good. I, I don't know what Vandy, what Jerry Stackhouse, what they were doing in that final possession, but thank goodness they did it. And by the way, credit to James Reese for the defense he played on that final possession. Frank Martin made sure he went out of his way to talk about James Reese and the fantastic defense he played and forcing, uh, forcing Scotty Pippen Jr. to maybe you know get uncomfortable and do something he wasn't planning on doing. And with that being said on that note, fantastic segue by yours truly because we're handing out our Shooter Shoot Award, and who else but James Reese, the performance he had on the road in Nashville, 13 points, 5 for 11 from the field, 1 for 6 from 3, but 2 for 3 from the free throw line, and 2 rebounds as well. i tell you what, guys, he's sneaky, Ben. He's been maybe the most underrated addition to Gamecocks basketball this year. You know, I talk a lot about Stevie, you know, Shooter Shoot, our guy, which he had another solid game for you, but James Reese coming from North Texas, and of course he's a local product, but coming from North Texas out of the transfer portal, he has been a fantastic addition for you. So again, kudos James Reese, the winner of our Shooters Shoot Award for his performance Saturday in Nashville. Now guys, what's next for Gamecocks basketball? Well, South Carolina gets right back after it tomorrow night. And of course, tomorrow's podcast will preview the game as the Gamecocks travel to Knoxville, Tennessee to take on the Tennessee Volunteers. And like guys, like I said, that's why the game against Vandy was so big because 
SEC grind, it sleeps for no one. You're going to find out very, very quickly just how good you are. You're going to find out very, very quickly just where you stack up. And again, Tennessee, of course, one of the better teams in the conference. Going to be a challenge. Going to be a challenge. We'll talk more about that one tomorrow. But again, a huge win, a gutsy win, a gritty win. You get your first conference win of the season, and you get your first true road win of the season as well at Vandy. So maybe, just maybe, Saturday's game can serve as a momentum boost. And maybe that was the one, you know, it's just like golf. It's just like, hey, any other sport, basketball even, where you got to get that first one to go. Once you get that first one to go, then it's like a, a snowball effect. Maybe now that you've got that first road win out of the way, who knows? Maybe you show up tomorrow night in Knoxville and play your best basketball and pull out an unlikely win and, you know, then the season's really on. But either way, guys, again, Gamecocks getting the win over Vandy, 72-70. to 70. Feels good to be good. Great to go to Memorial Gymnasium, do something. You have not done a lot, which is win on that floor. So, again, guys, Gamecocks return to action tomorrow night in Knoxville. Tomorrow's podcast will have a full breakdown and preview of South Carolina's road trip to Rocky Top. All right, guys, we got a lot of news and notes to get into. So, without further ado, let's dive into it. We're talking first football. Shane Beamer, hard at work. This dude, like I told you guys before, you know what I love about Shane Beamer? He's a grinder. He never sleeps. And the tweets that he had on Saturday just proved that even more. Because Shane Beamer, you, you got to love, by the way, you got to love having a coach that's so in tune with social media and knows how to work people and knows how to get people fired up. You know, I absolutely loved, of course, either way, you got two welcome homes. You got two commitments, which is great. Who's not going to be fired up for it either way? But the second one, when he posts a video, what a flex, posts the video from the beach and says, we were at the beach earlier, but we've been on the phones. We've been working. We've been grinding. I'm sitting there like, that's my freaking coach right there, man. Tip my freaking cap to Shane Beamer. Now, a pair of welcome homes. The question turns to who are they? Well, first things first, we know one of two right now. We know one of two right now. The one known, we'll talk about that one first, defensive end, defensive lineman, going to play Buck, you think, for the Gamecocks. Terrell Dawkins coming from the transfer portal. And both these guys are expected to be, the second one is expected to be a transfer portal guy. But Terrell Dawkins, a transfer portal player from North Carolina State University. And I think a very solid player, guys, for the Gamecocks, six foot four, 245. You look at what he did in 2020, specifically as a freshman. Uh, 36 total tackles, had nine and a half tackles for loss as a freshman, and five sacks, which was tied, I believe, for the lead in the ACC amongst freshmen. He also had two forced fumbles. Now, last year dealt with some injuries, only had six total tackles, only played in five games, but a really, really nice player, a nice pickup. And I'll tell you guys this, when it comes to the transfer portal, this is how I view it. This is how I view it. Unless you're a Spencer Rattler, we understand his impact. We understand what he's going to be for South Carolina football. You're an Austin Stogner, you know, the, the hype and hoopla that's following him as well, coming along with QB1, I look at a guy like Terrell Dawkins, and you look at the positions of need for South Carolina, and you look at this signing class, specifically the high school kids. You've signed about four or five defensive linemen, but you lose J.J. Nigbare, you lose Aaron Sterling. And so when it comes to that buck position, 
you know, you're going to need quality depth there. And it comes to, to the line of scrimmage, guys. You need quality depth. You know, talking to Brad Lowing last week, in case you missed that conversation on the Big Cock Club Discord, you can go check that out right now. But talking to Brad Lowing, you think back to when the Gamecocks were elite, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, what have you. What was the biggest difference between now and then? You know, what's the biggest difference between Alabama, Georgia, that team from the upstate, unfortunately, the elites in college football, and those teams that are sort of where South Con is, middle of the pack, trying to break through? It comes down to line of scrimmage, guys. I've said that time and time and time again. The game of football can change as much as we like it to. But uh, a team that can line up and physically impose its will against its opponent, a team that can line up and line up across from your man and just move him where you want him to go, that's going to be the team that wins 99% of the time. So to continue to build quality depth, I think is a genius move, getting a guy like Terrell Dawkins, which again, guys, yes, you've signed up, you know, four or five players, uh, pure high school kids, if you will, on the defensive front. But anytime you can go in the portal and add a guy like this Dawkins kid that, has already shown and proven he can do it at the Power 5 level. Again, guys, in 2020, 36 total tackles, 9.5 TFLs, and 5 sacks. That is a very solid year. To give you a perspective, the Gamecocks' leading sack man was J.J. Nagbari with 4.5. This kid had 5 in a shortened 2020 year. So the kid can get after the quarterback. And, of course, guys, we all know on defense the name of the game is getting after the quarterback. Also, I think we could all agree, the Gamecocks defensive front, if you can upgrade it through the portal, you need to. You need to, because getting after the quarterback, I don't think was good enough in 2021, even with the Gamecocks defense being improved. I don't think getting after the quarterback was good enough, and certainly stopping the run was not good enough. Now, Clayton White has commented, in the, and again, the reason I keep mentioning him with the Bucs, uh, you know, Terrell Dawkins, speaking after his commitment, saying that they're planning on playing him at the buck position to replace a player like J.J. Inigbari, to replace a player like Aaron Sterling. So again, I do believe that's where you will see him fit in. And can he have the same type of impact that a J.J. Inigbari had? You know, I don't know. Maybe. You know, like I told you guys, I'm not expecting this kid to be, you know, an All-American or anything, but certainly he does provide you with quality depth, just more bodies, more depth on the defensive front, which is, again, what you need on the line of scrimmage. So I think a very, very solid pickup for South Carolina. I know the next question you guys will have, how many years has he had to play? I believe he has, because think about it, 2020 was a COVID year, and 2021 he got redshirted. So I believe he's got at least three years to play. So he's got a lot of eligibility remaining. And again, I do think he will be an impact player immediately for South Carolina. Now, the other welcome home, the other welcome home. And for the sake of not ruining the kids' announcement, um, I will just say this the second welcome home is rumored to be another defensive player out of the transfer portal, guys. Again, this is something we've talked about in the Big Cock Club Discord. If you want to check it out there, you're more than welcome to patreon.com slash Club. But uh, just for the sake of the public airways, I will say this. I believe it's a defensive player. I believe it's a player out of the transfer portal. Not 110% sure yet who it is. Of course, this was a big weekend over the weekend in regards to guys from the portal visiting. So I think we'll find out much sooner rather than later. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when but it sounds like a pair of defensive commitments 
coming over the weekend. And, of course, we already know one of the two, that being defensive end or buck, if you will, Terrell Dawkins. But, again, Shane Beamer and company continue to work. And I told you guys, right, I told you guys, number one, South Carolina's not done yet. And number two, thank goodness that we have a coach that not only embraces this new day and age of college football, not only embraces NIL and, of course, the transfer portal, but he's going to attack it. I think Shane Beamer, at every turn, if there's a guy in the transfer portal that can help you, that it's a no-brainer, his addition is going to make you a better football team, Shane Beamer is going to do it. Shane Beamer is going to do it. So, again, great weekend to have a weekend on the recruiting front when you get a pair of welcome homes. And like I said, guys, I do not think Shane Beamer is done yet. Guys, final things, of course. Uh, Gamecocks women's basketball. What a day it was on Sunday, and yours truly was in the building taking it in as South kind of beats the Kentucky Wildcats by a final score of 75 to 54. Just another ranked win for South County. You know, it's crazy. We're going to get to the point where, I mean, there's not going to be any ranked teams left to beat because you're going to have beaten them all. You know, it's wild. South kind of was tied with Kentucky out of the first quarter, 18 to 18. You then outscored UK, and this here's what's the craziest part. Aaliyah Boston, number one, is an absolute freak. I, I mean, she is the best player in women's college basketball, and it's not even close. She did not score a point in the second quarter, yet you still outscored Kentucky 23-9. to nine. Pretty hard to believe. That's just how deep this team is. And again, you take a look at the statistics, South Carolina shooting 45% from the field, Kentucky shooting just 30%. Uh, you only shot 17% from three. They shot 39%. So again, you think about, about how much more of a blowout this could have been um, if you limited them more from three or you hit more of your three-pointers. But you outshoot them at the free throw line 75% to 46%. You out-rebound them 55 to 37. And here's the big kicker. You limit your turnovers. You only had 12 turnovers in the game. I believe the last two games combined, uh, you combined for like almost 40 turnovers, something like that. So a great job to clean that up as well. But either way, guys, a huge win for South Carolina with basketball. You kind of keep on keeping on you. You know, you get farther and farther away, if you will, from that, that fluke Missouri loss. I think it's safe to say that was a fluke for Gamecocks women's basketball and uh, you look ahead now, they got a home matchup on Thursday. So, again, keep on keeping on. It feels good to be good, especially when it comes, comes to Dawn Staley's squad, the way they're playing. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost unfair. It's almost unfair. Like I told you guys, not to make light of it, not to take it for granted. But uh, as I told the guys I was with, we're just playing for something different than everybody else. The, 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 the real season will start when the postseason begins. I mean, truly. So, again, great job by Dawn Staley and the squad. Great W as well. Great W and feels good to be good. All right, guys, let's, let's dive into your listener questions here. We're talking Gamecocks, basketball, recruiting, and everything in between. Uh, just two questions. Lawson Chewing says, who do you think the Beamer tweets were about? Well, my guy, like I said, we know Terrell Dawkins, the defensive lineman, or Buck, if you will, from NC State. And the other one, I believe, again, like I said, is going to be another defensive player. If you just look at who was on campus this week, and I do believe it's going to be a defensive player from the portal, but we're not 110% sure yet on that. And then final thing, Andrew, the textbook just says, what a victory against a team you had to beat. Yep, you had to have it, man. You absolutely had to have it. Again, just because you beat Vandy on Saturday, does that mean that 
the Gamecocks are going to the NCAA tournament or even making the NIT? No, but with all the chatter around Frank Martin, and I, I feel like, let me put it this way, I feel like Gamecocks basketball fans, on the men's side specifically, are, you know, and some of you may not like to hear this, but I think there's a lot of folks that are almost just, they're saying it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when that this thing is going to crumble and fall apart, and there's going to be a large portion of folks calling for Frank Martin's job. I, you know, again, fair, unfair, should that be the case? Guys, I don't know. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm just here to tell you that's the vibe I pick up. I feel like there's a lot of people that are just waiting on that moment. That's why you saw folks react so negatively to the Auburn loss, even though that was a game you were expected to lose. So we'll see how things shake out. But that Vandy game, that was one you absolutely had to have because if Vanderbilt would have found a way to beat you, you'd have fallen to 0-2. I mean, the chatter would have been deafening here on the Monday. But at least, thankfully, it's not. We've put that off at least for some time. And again, I repeat myself, but indeed, on this Monday, it does feel good to be good. What a show, guys. What a Monday. Appreciate you all tuning in, guys. Like I said, I hope you had a fantastic weekend. I hope you're having a great Monday. And again, those who are starting up classes today, best of luck to you and cheers to a fantastic semester. But don't, don't go anywhere, guys. I got a fantastic conversation. Great interview. One of the best all-time at the Waters here position to ever wear the garnet and black. So, folks, hey, I'm out of here. Appreciate you all tuning in. Podcast, Daily Crow, rocking and rolling, all the content rocking and rolling all week long. Until tomorrow, guys, appreciate you all. And enjoy this conversation with former Gamecocks wide receiver, Troy Williamson. All right, joining me today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for South Carolina football from 2002 to 2004, was named first team All-SEC in 2004 by the AP and was a first-round selection, the seventh overall pick in the 2005 NFL draft by the Minnesota Vikings. He had a brief NFL career as well from 2005 to 2009 with both the Minnesota Vikings and the Jacksonville Jaguars. I want to welcome to the show former Gamecocks wide receiver Troy Williamson. Troy, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Oh, no problem at all. No problem at all. Absolutely. So let's get right into it. Kind of go back to your high school days. Obviously, you were a standout wide receiver at Silver Bluff. Um, enrolled in South Carolina in 2002. But just kind of talk about your recruitment overall, the schools that were coming after you, and eventually what made you want to be a Gamecock. Uh, well, you know, you had your Georgia, your Clemson, uh, Florida, everybody up and down the East Coast pretty much. Uh, and what, what made me want to go to Carolina because – and not Clemson or Georgia – I wanted to go somewhere where I can play early, and that was the best opportunity for me. And it was close to home, so my family would be able to see me, uh, and I can come home when I wanted to. So it was uh, – that, that's the reason why. Absolutely. So, you know, your freshman year, obviously, you're coming in again. 2002 was your first season. South Carolina's coming off mm-hmm. back-to-back Outback Bowl championships after going through a 1-21 type streak. Uh, I'll ask you, what was sort of kind of the vibe around the South Carolina program when you got there? Because, again, Lou Holtz had just been hired. Uh, I guess literally three years before or so in South Carolina, again, getting over that that long losing streak, winning back-to-back Outback Bowls. I, I imagine South Carolina had to be really riding a uh, riding a high as a uh, as a program when you got there. I mean, yeah, they were. You know, you, you had your, your typical Lou Holtz, a guy that's, uh, you know, hard-nosed, uh, a tough, small guy, uh, what I would call it. I mean, but the program was – I believe it was on the up and up. And if we could have got, you know, a few more pieces and – some other things that we, it could have been a lot better than, than uh, 
than it was, though. But it was a, it was, it was a great program. I, I love everything about uh, USC, West South Carolina. No doubt. So, like I mentioned, you played for the legendary Lou Holtz, obviously a Hall of Famer, legendary South Carolina coach as well. Talk about just kind of um, not just your relationship while you were at South Carolina, but your current relationship with, uh, with your former head coach. Well, uh, I haven't talked to Coach Holtz. It's been a minute, uh, a good little while. But, I mean, even when I was in uh, at USC, we had, he had a high level of respect for me. Uh, we had an incident. I remember that, that I kind of stood up for my uh, friend Kenny Irons at the time. Uh, we had Demetrius Summers was coming in, and I was the one that kind of stood up for Kenny. Kenny worked hard. I believe that he should have been the number one back at the time. And Coach Holtz kind of called me out on it. Uh, everybody felt that way, but I'm the only one that pretty much stood up. But after that moment, uh, he kind of held me to a higher respect. Uh, and I, I appreciate everything that he that he done for me uh, up to this point, even at this point. Absolutely. So, you know, it's funny, you bring up a really good point about the Kenny Irons thing. I'll ask you simply because, you know, you guys were teammates and everything. I know that he transferred, went to Auburn, and really the rest is history. I mean, he really did his thing at Auburn and balled right. out. What was kind of the situation behind that? Because I know through the grapevine, through just – you know, different fan circles. I've heard things like Demetrius Summers was kind of promised the number one position when he came in in 2003. I mean, is there is there any validity to that, would you say? Or, like, what was kind of the situation behind that? Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking that's that's kind of what it was, that he was promised to, you know, to start. Uh, and Kenny kind of got the short end of the stick. Uh, so, and then what happened was that I, I believe that Kenny working hard, is it wasn't nothing that he could do uh, to play. Uh, and Demetrius already had the spot lined up. Absolutely. So your freshman season, pretty solid, 17 catches, 491 yards, um, four touchdowns. You actually averaged 28.9 yards a catch, which I think really kind of uh, almost kind of summarized your career up. You're obviously a really big play guy. But talk about just kind of what led to you having so much success, you know, because some guys come in as freshmen and sort of, you know, obviously the game gets quicker. It's a different level of football, especially when you're going to the SEC. But what do you think was uh, your biggest – or what, what was most important you having success so early on in your South Carolina career? I mean, just wanted to be competitive and always uh, wanted to play hard and, you know, just be that football player. I always wanted to be the guy uh, to get the ball. And I, I just wanted that opportunity. Once I got that opportunity, I, I said nobody else was going to you know, be able to take that away from me. And it worked out well. Uh, just being one to go compete and be that guy. That, that's what uh, kind of drove me through, through, uh, through college. Who would you say was the toughest defensive back you faced while you were uh, while you were in college? I mean, you had uh, Miller from Clemson at the time. Uh, that's that's pretty much the one that that stood out. Uh, I forgot I forget his first name, but Miller. Uh, and so you had Ty Hill, another guy that that I, that I played against, went to Clemson also. Uh, so some of those guys, for sure. So. You know, throughout your South Carolina career, obviously you played a ton of games at Williams-Brice Stadium. Were, were there any that stuck out to you as maybe your most memorable games uh, in Columbia while you were at South Carolina? It's always the, the Virginia game, the 99-yard touchdown. Uh, Georgia, my, my junior year, being able to rack up a lot of yards, and we, uh, we were so close to coming out with a win of that game. Those two games are the ones that really stick, stick out to me as far as highlight moments. I think the Georgia game kind of put me on the scene for the NFL. Yeah, definitely. I was going to, you know, I'm glad you bring it up. The uh, the 99-yard touchdown against Virginia, obviously you guys, you guys waxed those guys that day. I think the final was 31-7, to but that's obviously a play that is still lived on in infamy because I think it's still the longest scoring play uh, from scrimmage in South Carolina history. Just talk about, 
you know, kind of because, you know, you're down there on the one yard line. Obviously, you're trying to first off avoid disaster from getting the safety or whatever. But uh, was it a play where I'm sure as soon as you caught it, you kind of saw the defense and knew you were gone. But was it a play when you lined up, you thought you had a chance to take it to the house or just kind of walk me through that play in general? Well, I know for me, uh, it, it was supposed to be a run play. And what happened was Coach uh, Holtz changed the play at the last minute and I'm calling his plan. And I know just as soon as I caught it and I uh, seen the corner and the safety's coming, I knew that I could split them and be able to take it to the uh, take it to the house. The guy could have still stood up, stayed up, and I probably still would have took it to the house either way. <laughs> Absolutely. No, and that was, like you said, that was a very, very memorable game as well. Have you ever seen a guy get hit as yeah. hard as the, uh, the guy that uh, Corey Boyd laid out in that game? Oh, I still haven't. I still haven't seen nobody get hit as hard as that. <laughs> still haven't. And I, you know, being able to play in the pros, I still haven't seen nobody get hit that hard. Absolutely. So you mentioned 2004 South Carolina Georgia. I remember that one very, very vividly as well. You guys were up 16 nothing. But I want to talk about uh, mm-hmm. the play that you were talking about, the long touchdown that you have, where you dove in the end zone. Um, and I want to talk about just talk, walk me through kind of that play. It's a great play by you to spin out of the tackle, get to the end zone. And then you dive in and get the unsportsmanlike conduct. I'll never forget you running the sideline <laughs> and Coach Holtz kind of getting into you. What, what's, uh, what, what was he saying to you on the sideline? It was just really about, you know, just be smart. It's a big game. You don't want to do nothing that's going to pretty much take us out of it. So, you know, the, the point, that's the point is pretty much a gimme. So don't, you know, don't mess up that opportunity. If we end up losing by one point, it'll be because of that. So just pretty much just stay focused, you know, and don't do nothing that's going to mess up the game for us. I'm sure there were some explicitives thrown in there as well. If, 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 uh, yeah, you know, you, you know that, you know, (laughs) (laughs) no doubt. So again, that 2004, that 2004 season again was very, very good for you. Um, overall, your best Mm -hmm. year, definitely 43 catches, 835 yards, seven touchdowns in the year. And like you said, I, I certainly think that it was, uh, it made a big time impact as far as where you went in the NFL draft again, being picked seventh Mm -hmm. overall. Um, you know, when I talk about some of the games in that season in general, obviously you mentioned the Georgia game was big, but one of the ones that I thought stood out to me was at Alabama. You guys go into Tuscaloosa, and it's funny. You think of what Alabama is now, but you guys go into Tuscaloosa back then in 2004, beat those guys 20-3. to I mean, how cool was mm-hmm. it to be able to go into a place like Tuscaloosa where there's so much tradition? You guys, I don't think, had ever beaten them. Or, excuse me, yeah, did beat them in 2001, but never won in Tuscaloosa and be able to go in there and not just win but dominate. I mean, it's always good, especially when you uh, a away team to be able to go in and dominate and play some good football and run the ball the way we do we did it. Because I don't think I even had to catch that game. I don't think. I think we was running the ball so good that we didn't really have to throw it that much. Mm-hmm. So, but it was it was always great to be able to go into somebody else's house and whip their behind and leave. It's always, it was always great to be able to do that. Absolutely. So one of the things I want to touch on from the Georgia game, kind of going backwards, that you talked that uh, I actually yeah. heard before is that. Sidney Rice, who was you mm-hmm. know, obviously South Carolina's go-to guy in 2005, 2006, um, I believe in that game broke his ankle or something, got hurt in pregame warm-ups and had to redshirt that 2004 season. Otherwise, mm-hmm. he played in 2004. How, how good of a wide receiver tandem would it have been having both mm-hmm. you and Sidney on the field at the same time? Because we obviously know what he did in his, in his college career and then professional career as well. Yeah, he – man, he was something else, man. I mean, I – I, I always wanted and wished that we could have played together, man. It would, it probably would have go down as the best duo uh, at South Carolina if we had the opportunity to play. Yeah, no, I'm I just thinking the same thing. Who? Uh, I'm sure you guys went uh, 
did a lot of competing in practice because I know with two guys as competitive as you guys are and as good as you guys were uh, and still are, I mean, I have to imagine those practices got pretty fiery as far as who was uh, getting the bulk of the catches, who was kind of the number one guy. Yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, that's, that's what you want, though. You want to be – to have somebody to be able to push you, and that, that's what makes you better, especially a guy like Sidney. I mean, Sidney was an a amazing athlete from basketball – played basketball. I mean, so he was, a, he was a guy that pushed me and wanted me to step my level, step my game up a little bit. So, I mean, it was always great to be able to compete with a guy like that. No doubt. Did, did you have any sort of – you know, I know superstition is more so, I think, for baseball, but did you have any certain – maybe pregame routines or anything you did as a wide receiver? Because I, I imagine wide receivers are, you know, really like any other position where it's, it's really all mental as far as just catching the football, you know, being in your mm -hmm. game, in your zone. Was there anything in particular you did to prepare to get ready to play your best? Nope, not really. I mean, I just put my pads on the same way. But nothing that I really did that, uh, that stood out that I had to do every game. Uh, I'm not really a, a superstitious guy. So, I mean, it's, it was just put your pads on, let's go play. Absolutely. No, I love that. So, 2002, 2003, obviously your first two seasons, you guys were mm -hmm. uh, missed bowl eligibility, and that was something, again, I talked about South Carolina was coming off back-to-back -back outback bowls. Um, 2004, you guys get the win over Arkansas, and, again, another game I remember very, very vividly. You guys win 35-32. You had the mm -hmm. go-ahead touchdown. Coach Simpson has the pick to seal it. Um, going back to your touchdown, just how – you know, what was – kind of walk me through again, what was the uh, what was the play call there? Because I remember specifically, I mean, it was just kind of a like a little hitch where they basically just putting the ball in your hands and letting you make a play. You spin off of a tackle and score the touchdown. Just kind of walk me through uh, – walk, walk me through that play in general. See, I think I had a, a go route uh, from, the, from the jump. But what happened was the corner blitz. And when the corner blitz, I just come off the ball and kind of just settles. And then it's just me and the safety one-on-one. -on -one. And to be able to make a play, to spin off a guy and, and score, you know, to go ahead touchdown was a was a big deal. That was a big game, and uh, we, we kind of we needed that to be bowl el eligible. So, but even though it didn't work out because uh, of the Clemson game, but it was it was a, a, a corner blitz. Uh, Savelle made a great read, threw me the ball, and it was just me and the safety one on one. So just make a play. No doubt. So you just mentioned Savelle Newton, your former teammate. I wanted to definitely ask you about obviously your career. Um, you already mentioned you're a guy that just put the pads on in place. So I don't think it probably affected you. Mm -hmm. Kind of, you know, did it ever affect you with the the quarterback carousel, if you will? Because I know while you were there, I mean, you had a ton of different guys throwing you the football, and Corey Jenkins, Dondrell Pinkins, Savelle Newton. Did that ever affect the way you approached the game or approached what you were trying to do that day, or was it something where you had to get familiar and comfortable with each guy? No, I mean, because those guys pick it up. I mean, they just throw it deep, throw it deep. Or give me something that I can make a play with it, and they they pretty much adjusted pretty much you know to me, and uh and they they did an awesome job of getting me the ball. Uh, and Coach Holtz always told me, Terrell, I'm gonna give you five or six opportunities a game to make a play, and then that's all I needed was those opportunities to make a play. But they uh they did they they did a great job of just getting me the ball. It really wasn't no adjusting at all. Absolutely. So you're talking about what, you know, just bringing up the big plays you made. I forgot to mention at Kentucky that year, uh, you guys win 12 to seven. I think believe, believe it was Mike Ray throws you the game winning touchdown. Um, in the back of the end zone, yeah. Yeah, back corner of the back of the end zone there. Just, just talk about what, I mean, with you, were you always just kind of the big play guy? Was that, cause I mean, I talked about what you averaged per catch. I mean, you're literally looking at your career 19.3 yards per catch. So you were, I mean, you were a big play type of guy. Where, where do you think that came from? Was it just 
Uh, is that how you were used all throughout your career? Kind of what do you think made you so good at being so clutch and making those big plays? I mean, just want to be in the moment, want to be that guy to make the play. So, I mean, the moment was never really too big. It was just like any other play, even if it's fourth and one or fourth and 20 and we needed to score, uh, just give me the ball. Just give me the opportunity to catch it, and I'm going to be there for you. That's how I looked at it. Absolutely. I definitely would say that showed on the field for sure. Um, you yeah. mentioned, obviously, you guys get bowl eligible. The game at Clemson happens. The brawl, I got to ask you about it. I mean, just simply put, what do you remember from the brawl in general? Because we've had some other guys like Savelle Newton, your former teammate on here, and he's gave his recollections of it. But what do you remember specifically from the brawl? Uh, just everybody going at it. I mean, it was something that I knew for, for me for sure that uh, it was something I, I – it made the program look a, a lot worse. You know, when things like that happen, and obviously took a bowl game from us. So I remember talking to Coach Stockstill at the time, and this was my decision uh, around my time to, you know, to, to leave. And it's crazy because every team that I visited uh, during my draft process talked about that that moment. And they were looking for me to be in there. Am I that type of guy? So that, that kind of stuff reflects on our program and, and, and different things. But talking to Coach Stockstill, even when the brawl was going on, about me being able to leave school and, uh, and how – you didn't, I didn't want to be a part of that because of that reason. And it, it put a ding on my character. Uh, so, but it, it was a, it was something that I, I wish didn't happen. So I've been able to play in that bowl game, but you know, it is what it is. And you weren't really even involved in it, correct? I mean, was it something more guilty? I, I wasn't. Because, yeah, because I remember specifically, I, I don't remember ever seeing you like in the, the middle of the scrum or anything. No, because the thing about it, it was, it was, I, was defense on the field? You know, it was offense. To, I, I remember Savelle threw it I across the middle of Michael Thomas, and it was a fourth down play, and then I think somebody shoved him. Yeah. Somebody stepped on him, and right. that's kind of got out of control. Yeah, I mean, you, you know them games always, they kind of chippy anyway, especially playing Clemson. So, I mean, I, and, and some stuff like that was happening through the whole game anyway. So, and then it got boiled over into that. So, But I wasn't even in the middle of it, uh, and everything happened, like, so fast. Absolutely. So, obviously, again, the decision to leave was a very easy one mm -hmm. when you're the seventh overall pick in the NFL draft. I mean, that's a no-brainer. Mm -hmm. But after that game happened, you get the bowl game taken away. I mean, was there any consideration of, I don't want to end my career like this? I mean, I know you have to look it out for yourself on the personal level 100%. But, I mean, mm -hmm. I, had to, I have to imagine all you could have wished for was to get one more chance to go out in the field and garnet black, especially when the last game was, you know, ended the way it did. Right. And I mean, I know for me, because I talked to my mom, I talked to my godfather, uh, my pastor, some people that I, I that's close to me. And we just talked about the decision, uh, especially when we end up losing the, the opportunity to play in the bowl game, that it was time, uh, you know, for me to make that decision to leave. So, I mean, I think it was a great decision, obviously, being able to be picked seventh overall. But it uh, it was it was just – and even talking to Coach Sperry, because first Coach Sperry told me I can go – he told me, if I come back, I, instead of being, you know, a first-round pick, I can be the number one pick overall. And uh, even, with, even with that said, I, I knew it was time for me to, uh, to go ahead and step out and leave. Wow. Yeah, no, that's funny. I, I was going to ask you just kind of – yeah, I know, you know, Steve Spurrier was hired, you know, right after that. Obviously, there were a lot of rumors going into that Clemson game about Lou Holtz possibly stepping down, Steve Spurrier possibly getting the job. Um, do you think that had – I mean, did that affect the team in any way? I mean, I, I wouldn't think it would, but did you guys hear those rumors a lot? I mean, did it affect you guys at all? 
See, I think we heard the rumors of, you know, coach leaving, uh, but it really didn't, uh, we didn't know who was going to get the job until everything happened after the, after the uh, Clemson game. Coach O told us that he was stepping down and they had a uh, Coach Spurrier coming in. I think that's when I found out that it was going to be Coach Spurrier coming in. Absolutely. So you said you talked to Coach Spurrier briefly, obviously about you leaving, but mm-hmm. were there any other conversations with him? Was it just kind of about your future or what, what were the, uh, you know, what were those conversations like with him? I mean, we we just had a conversation about me staying and the opportunity that I that he'll give me, and you know he's he was he's a great offensive mind guy to be able and he coached some great receivers, so and I, I had to weigh all that in in, in uh, my decision on leaving or not. But it was it was just it was time to to step out. Even though I would have loved playing in that offense, it was it was time to step out and go to the next uh, next stage in life. Absolutely. And like I said, you were the seventh overall pick in the 2005 NFL draft for the Minnesota Mm -hmm. Vikings. Um, You know, I know a a humble kid coming from Silver Bluff High School, coming from around the Aiken, South Carolina area. I mean, just talk about that day. You get taken seventh overall. I mean, what what did that mean to you? How how cool was that? I mean, you just think about all the stuff of, you know, where I grew up at, how how I came, uh, everything I had to go through just to get to that point. And everybody, when they Google my name, they see the picture of me crying out. And I explained to them that it's just all the, you know, me being burned twice. I got burned twice when I was a young kid. Had to learn how to walk again. I, th- I thought about all that stuff and all of it ca- all it came up at that one time on draft day. But it was a great experience. Right? I, I, I could never, would never uh, put that, uh, make another decision as far as when it comes to leaving school and being able to be drafted that high because that's, uh, very rare that you see something like that and for it to happen to me absolutely I know probably I just funny because the NFL draft just happened I'm sure whenever you you know see that on TV it's something where you kind of think back to yourself and uh you know get emotional Mm -hmm. ask you though would you ever rock some of the suits these guys are wearing now with like the half jacket thing like I feel like the suits have gotten a little out of control at the NFL draft you know everybody's (laughs) trying to uh make a fashion statement I I just be comfortable with wearing a regular suit, you know. Uh, but so, I mean, some of the stuff is nice on there, but I I might I might rock some of it. <laughs> but I just make sure I just stay in my own comfort zone. No doubt, no doubt. So 2005, you get into Minnesota. Obviously, we talked about again the transition mm-hmm. going from high school to the SEC college football. Now you're going from college football to you know the NFL. It's the big show. Um, you, your first season in the NFL, right. 24 catches, 372 yards did have two touchdowns your first year. Just talk about sort of your mm-hmm. transition. What were some of the biggest transition areas for you going from the uh, from the college ranks to NFL? I know for me it was more about just focus, being focused, mentally ready for that uh for that being that being that position. I know for me, I uh, and I talk, talk about this all the time about me and my playing career in NFL, as far as for me it, it, I don't think I was mentally there. I, I wasn't mentally ready for that uh position yet uh and even the more and more i play the more and more it messed with me mentally so that that's i think that's the biggest thing with anybody when you when you see a guy that's drafted high and he kind of don't figure it out or i think it's more mental than anything because you always have that athletic ability it's just if you can get over that mental hump of being a you know for me coming in trying to replace a guy like randy miles uh uh being a top 10 pick, uh, just things like that, to, uh, to be able to come in and do that. I mean, I, I just never really got over that, that hump. But then again, I would never change nothing that happened because all that it was a learning experience for me, and it was a, it was a great, uh, great experience. 
Absolutely. So, again, you're with Minnesota. You're playing with a dynamic quarterback. Here's a name for people, Dante Culpepper, a name we haven't heard in a while, but a guy <laughs> that was as, as dynamic as any at his position. Just kind of talk about what mm-hmm. that was like to play with a dude like that. Oh, my God. Cause when you look and you see, you, know, you see him on TV, I mean, somebody that you watch playing, you growing up watch playing. Uh, but it was, it was great. I mean, he was a good leader, uh, somebody that uh, I looked up to when I got there and was, you know, kind of mesmerized at uh, being able to be at this level and play with some of the caliber guys that I was, was able to play with. Absolutely. So I, I know that Minnesota, I believe in 04, uh, Randy Moss left. Were they bringing you in sort of to be kind of his replacement, to be that guy? Was that the plan for you overall? That was the plan for me overall. Uh, that's one of the things that me and Coach Tice talked about, about me coming in. And, and you know, it's always – it was easy for me to say that I'm not here to replace Randy Moss. I'm just here to do what I'm, I'm doing. But it always kind of played in the, in the back of my mind as far as uh, this legend, this, uh, this great talent that, for me to come in and, and uh, replace that. But that, that was the plan. Absolutely. So, I believe – you can correct me if I'm wrong, Troy. I believe it was your first NFL touchdown. Week four, you guys are in Atlanta against the Falcons. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys lose the game 30-10, to 10, but that was your first ever career touchdown in the NFL, 16-yard pass from Dante Culpepper. Just kind of talk about – again, I feel like it's probably a flurry of emotions. Again, you talked about sort of what the NFL <laughs> draft, man. Just a flurry of emotions getting that first NFL touchdown, and especially getting it in Atlanta, you know, not too far from your hometown, really. Just kind of talk about uh, right. talk about that experience. I mean, you just look at the uh, – that's what you work for. I mean, you, you work to be able to, to score touchdowns, and that's what I always wanted to do, you know, be able to, to score touchdowns. I remember it was a slant and go, the corner bit, and I was able, you know, just able to catch on the back of the end zone. And I remember after I caught it, I'm taking the ball to my younger brother, to, uh, my, my youngest of the 10 of us uh, and you know, giving it to him. Absolutely. So what would you say you learned most from that rookie season in the NFL? Because, again, had a solid year, but overall uh, I'm sure you grew as a player. Again, you played with Dante Culpepper, Culpepper. Also, you played with Brett Favre, who is a true legend of the game, Hall of Famer. Um, but you personally as a player, what did you learn most from that 2005 season? I mean, it's that uh, – you have to be it's just a, this is a job so you have to treat it that way as far as how you prepare in the off season how you set yourself up to you know try to be successful that's that's one of the things i learned is more of a job so you get up there you wake up at six o'clock in the morning you don't leave that to five o'clock that afternoon so you have to prepare prepare that way uh so off season training all that stuff so just, just trying to take care of my body and do things things of that sort Absolutely. So your career again lasted from 2005 to 2009 with both Minnesota and Jacksonville. Um, obviously, 2009 being your last year. What, what would you say, sort mm-hmm. of? Um, and again, you can correct me if I'm wrong because I don't have it in front of me. But as far as the end of your NFL career, just kind of talk about your career as a whole and what sort of led you deciding to uh, to retire from the NFL. Just me. I know I, I wasn't playing up to par, uh, and I wasn't all the way there ment- mentally. And I feel like it was more of a burden than anything. So I didn't want it to, you know, you know, did it, I didn't want to try to prolong this process that, that I'm not playing up to my level of, uh, of my ability that I have. So that's what, that's what my decision was of, you know, being able to leave and which it was an easy decision for me. Uh, so once I remember calling my wife and telling my wife, uh, it's time for me to, you know, give this up. And she made it a lot easier when she said, you know, whatever you want to do, 
you know, you, you can do it. So that's why that's why I decided to leave. No doubt. Did did you ever play with uh Sidney Rice in Minnesota? Was he there your last year? I no, did. You did. Hey, what was that? I played with Sidney, yeah. I imagine that had to be really, really cool playing with your former college teammate. I mean, it was. I mean, it's, it's, it was, I was excited when they drafted him. I mean, because uh, I, I remember when Sidney was first coming into South Carolina, I had him on a recruiting visit. So it was somebody that, you know, I looked at as a, as a friend and obviously like a, a brother. So, and then we, uh, and it was a great experience for him to come in and be able to, to uh, play together one more time. Absolutely. Being a South Carolina alum, obviously, again, you left in 04. I'm sure you were able to keep up with what Steve Spurrier was doing and building at South Carolina. How cool mm-hmm. was it to, you know, be able to say you were an alumni, especially when 2000, in 2005 when South Carolina accomplished so many firsts, like a win in Knoxville, beating Florida. Um, you know, how cool was that to be able to just kind of look back and, you know, say I'm an alumni of the University of South Carolina? It's great because I'm a, I'm a diehard Gamecock. I, uh, I live in, even though I live in Georgia, and all I see is Georgia flags and all this country <laughs> stuff. But it's 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 always great to to uh, to talk trash or to cheer on my team. So especially that during that time when you had you know the clownies and the, the uh, DJ Swearings and those guys, mm-hmm. and they really built something down there. And I love to watch. I mean, we can be one in ten or whatever. I'm still gonna watch my Gamecocks. That's how that's how I feel. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a ton of South Carolina guys right now, obviously, dominating in the NFL. So, I mean, definitely uh, mm-hmm. definitely good stuff. I actually saw a headline today that I think Texans are looking to trade. Javion Clowney would love to get him with, with Carolina or Atlanta, just closer to home. Yeah. But, uh, but overall, you know, when you look back on your South Carolina career, obviously there were a ton of moments, ton of good memories for you. Um, mm-hmm. Overall at South Carolina, what would you say was your best memory from being a Gamecock? Uh, I think signing. I think to be able to sign and be able to to come and go come to a school like Carolina, I think that that had to be the biggest moment for me. Scratch all the you know the catches and the in the yards. It's just being able to sign that dotted line and have your college paid for, and uh and and being able to play for a program like the University of South Carolina. Absolutely. So Troy, before I let you go, because I'm gonna let you go here, but give us your your uh, your best or funniest Lou Holtz story that you can tell on the airwaves. Oh, I'm just trying to uh, – he caught me. I don't think I, 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 don't think I really have a, a funny story from Lou Holtz. No, no. He seemed like he was just always I, – I don't, I don't think I got any, any funny stories. Well, maybe best memory then from, uh, from your – besides the signing day, just kind of your best memory being oh, in Carolina, whether it's on the field or off the field. Well, the, the best – I'll give you uh, – me and Coach Holtz had like a – a, a great relationship. So some of the things that he would do when I would catch a deep ball, he would come pick me up on the golf cart. <laughs> so it take me back to the huddle. So that, I mean, I can I, I say that as a funny memory, but that's the kind of respect that he had for me and uh, a great experience. Absolutely. Well, yeah, Troy, appreciate you taking the time, man. Obviously, again, you know, I, I think I can definitely say, uh, speak for Gamecock Nation when I say it was an absolute pleasure to watch you in Garnet and Black and, uh, you know, Selfishly, would have loved to have seen what 2005 would have been like with you and uh, you and Sidney Rice tearing it up. But obviously, I know, it was a lot, right? <laughs> a lot of fun to watch you in the NFL, and uh, you know, uh, glad to hear your game. I'll ask you: Do you still follow? Along? I know you said you follow along now, but have you been on campus, been able to meet Will Muschamp and his staff? Or yes, I met I met Muschamp when he first came in. But I'm I'm at I'm at four games a year, so I'm always nice. Okay, uh, always down at I'm, I'm I'm always there. I go to Georgia every year. Uh, 
every other year when they play Georgia. I'm, I'm at a Clemson game. I come down for homecoming. So I'm, I'm, I'm on campus. Nice. Very good. And I have to imagine, you know, what's your, uh, what are your impressions of Will Muschamp and just kind of the program he's building? I know a lot of people are pretty high on him. We are. I mean, I can't – I'm excited for this season. I'm just ready to, to go now uh, <laughs> to be able to watch some football. And, and just how they're building the, the school up overall, you know, the, the athletic facilities that they got. I mean, it's, it's great to see our school uh, be, be able to compete uh, with some of the bigger programs that's, that's out there. Absolutely. Well, yeah, Troy, again, appreciate you taking the time, man. And, again, like, like I said, uh, definitely want to have you back on. We can chat some ball again. Oh, no problem. Anytime. ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done